Be seated and be opening your Bibles to Hebrew, uh, Hebrews, Genesis chapter 11. I don't know why I did that. I don't, even, I don't think I even, maybe I'm quoting a verse in Hebrews today, but anyway, um, in, in Genesis chapter 11, and uh, if you're new with us here today, uh, we're in a series through Genesis called Back to Basics. And uh, as I was getting ready for this series, I realized that that everything about what God expects of us, everything that we see in this world, in our Christian life, all those things have their beginning in the book of beginnings, Genesis. And so it has been very interesting and hopefully it will continue to be so. As we go through, we see these things that we believe way down here starting, the seeds are starting there. Today is a, a, a pivot passage uh, as we sometimes call them in the scripture, uh, where we see a lot of things happening and then it pivots to head in the direction it's supposed to go. Sort of like everything's getting gathered and now there's a, a direction. And that direction today as we come to Abram or Abraham, uh, either way you want to call him, he's not called Abraham until uh, Isaac is, is on the way. Uh, up till then, he's just Abram, but his name Abraham means father of many nations. It's more of a, a, a idiom than, a, than an actual translation, but uh, A-B means father uh, in, in uh, Hebrew and uh, sort of uh, in uh, Arabic as well as Abu in, in Arabic. Uh, it's Abba in Aramaic, and A-B is father in, uh, in Hebrew. But uh, we always start, since we started this, and hopefully we'll do this till the end, by saying in Hebrew, uh, Genesis 1-1. So y'all ready? We're just going to go for it today. You ready? Barashit bara Elohim et hashemayim va'et ha'aretz. Way, good job. Let's say it in English. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we thank you for this book that you tell us how things started. You show us everything that you have done. And uh, Lord, uh, many men through many ages have tried to uh, twist it, explain it, uh, ask what does this really mean, and it means just what you wrote it to mean. It is what it says it is. And so Lord, we just thank you that, that uh, we have this book, but we have the whole book, and we can see from beginning to end your revealed plan of redemption. So we pray today that Lord, we would see Christ even uh, at, here at this beginning point of Abraham. And uh, Lord, help us to see that with the eyes of our faith and uh, that you would open our understanding behold wonderful things out of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Hebrews 11 is very interesting. I, uh, in, the, in the first 10 chapters, 11 chapters, we have the flood and, and I've talked a little bit about different things about evolution and, and things in that. Um, and just this past week, again, Friday, uh, went on a bike ride uh, a, a, on the um, Greenbrier River Trail uh, up there in Pocahontas County in West Virginia. And <clears throat> uh, as we were on that trail, they had a big sign and it had, it said this particular kind of coral, I've forgotten the name. But, but the basic explanation in there was this is the only place in the world this particular type of coral is found. And I'm saying coral which is on the bottom of the ocean. <laughs> and what they said was this coral is here, and it was covered at some point in sedimentary rock. Well, sedimentary rock is the sediment out of a flood, in case you never made that connection. 
And the only place you can find this coral is in the mountains of West Virginia. Just a point. Of course, the sign said it's like 330 billion years ago or something, at which I laughed. Ha <laughs> ha. Uh, but it's just so strange. Once you begin to see, and we've allowed evolution to be taught, and it even creeps into our thinking and understanding, even as those who reject that theory, uh, which it is a theory because it can't be proven, observed, or repeated. Uh, and, and we have an account given by God, we believe, in Genesis. And Peter said that's a more sure word than even our own experience. So I kind of would rather believe this, wouldn't you? Uh, and it's just proven over and over and over again to be so. But we come to Genesis 11, and we, chapter 10 was a lot about uh, genealogies and where men came from, who their sons were and the fathers were. We, we, we come to chapter 11, and we see the Tower of Babel. That, that has happened now. And then the Bible goes back and repeats a, a portion of a genealogy. And it does so to get us from Noah to Abraham, basically. Okay, you following with me still? And there are a lot of names in there which I struggle to pronounce. Somebody said one time, you come to a word you can't pronounce, just say it any way you want to because the people listening can't pronounce it either, so don't worry about it. Um, I don't think that ill of you, but, but uh, I, I know I'm struggling with it, so if that gives you any hope, uh, God bless you. But I, I've called today, Here Comes Abraham, because this genealogy takes us to Abraham, and the Bible says he is the father uh, of, of the faithful. He's not only the father of the Jewish nation, he's really the father of all believers of the faithful. I'll show you that in a little while in the scripture. So look with me in chapter 11 and verse 10. All right, it says, these are the generations of Shem. Now I said Noah, but Shem is one of Noah's sons. Three sons of Noah, three sons of, Ab of, of uh, also of, of Adam, but it says, these are the generations of Shem, and Shem came from Seth to Shem. Now, when Shem was 100 years old, he fathered uh, Arpachshad two years after the flood. And Shem lived after he fathered Arpachshad 500 years, and he had other sons and daughters. When Arpachshad had lived 35 years, he fathered Shelah. And Arpachshad lived after he fathered Shelah 403 years. And had other sons and daughters. Verse 14. When Shelah lived 30 years, he fathered Eber. And Shelah lived after he had fathered Eber 403 years. And he had other sons and daughters. When Eber had lived 34 years, he fathered Peleg. Or Peleg. And Eber lived after he fathered Peleg 430 years and had other sons and daughters. And when Peleg had lived 30 years, he fathered Ru or Reu, and Peleg lived after he fathered Reu 209 years and had other sons and daughters. When Reu had lived 32 years, he fathered Serug. And Reu lived after he fathered Serug 207 years and had other sons and daughters. When Serug had lived 30 years, he fathered Nahor. And Serug lived after he fathered Nahor 200 years and had other sons and daughters. When Nahor had lived 29 years, he fathered Terah. And, and Nahor lived after he fathered Terah 119 years and had other sons and daughters. And when Terah had lived 70 years, he fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Now, I usually wouldn't read that whole list. I know if I were at home reading it, 
I would not have read that whole list, okay? If I was just reading for myself. Do you tend to do that? If you're reading through the Bible, you come to a list of dads. and Those things are important for this reason. It shows what God is doing to get the person that he wants to emphasize to that place. Now, in my family, I kind of grew up, and family was very important to us. I grew up around a part of my family. Uh, Even in my day, that was a little bit unusual. Today's world, it is very unusual for children or, uh, or even grandchildren especially to grow up around extended relatives. But but my mom and dad were from two different parts of the state. We went to visit my dad's part of the family every year. And I grew up around my mom's family and a lot of cousins down there. And that was kind of unusual. And, and so our, our shared family history was kind of important to us. And, and I've got a little bit of interest in that. And, you know, I heard legends about this relative and that relative. And I can repeat these stories from before I was born. Uh, and so I married Janice and... And, uh, you know, like I said, it's kind of important to me. And so I met her grandfather. And her grandfather was about this tall and about that wide. He's about 300 pounds. His fingers were huge. Just a big old guy. And I first met him, and, and he was not uh, what you would call friendly. <laughs> and I, and I, so I, I asked him about his family, where he came from and all that. And he looked at me like I was the biggest idiot in the world. Never answered the questions. Just kept doing what he was doing. Like, okay, it's not so important to him. But that's a big deal to me. It was a big deal in the Bible because it tells us how we got here. Now, if all you've got to brag about is your ancestors, you're like a potato. Best part of you is underground. All right? That's, that's a quote of Vance Havner. I didn't, I'm not insulting you. Uh, but... But it is important to see how God has moved. And, and I've, I've done that in my own, just even in my father, my grandfather, different parts of my family that, that I barely made it in. It, I shouldn't be here in, in a sense. You get that sense. Sort of like what we're going to see here because Abraham becomes a father of nations and he only had one kid that counted. Uh, he wanted his, his servant to become his heir and God said no. Then he tried to do it on his own with his wife's uh, maid. And God said, no, it's got to be with Sarah. And so that's where the, the child comes from. And, and so it's very important for you to realize that you got here by God's design. That's why God puts all these lists in there. It also lets people know, for instance... The, the nation uh, or the, the uh, tribe of Benjamin. Uh, we just, I was just reading the past couple of weeks the story of uh, this horrible thing happened in Benjamin. And then all the rest of the tribes came and destroyed all of the Benjamites except 400 men. And they said, oh no, we've almost cut off a tribe. We gotta... So they found some, some other Jewish girls that their dad hadn't promised to go fight them. And, and so they got a few wives and kept the tribe going. King Saul was a Benjamite. Paul tells us in the New Testament, I am a Hebrew of the Hebrews of the tribe of Benjamin. He was one of those uh, guys that shouldn't, by all accounts, probably shouldn't have got here. But he did. God has a purpose. And God has a purpose for you being here. God has a call on your life. And the call doesn't have to be like my call to to full-time or to... Christian service like I do it or like a missionary or whatever. Whatever God has called you to, he's called you to that. Because that is, it's necessary. We're all necessary. 
And we can't all be doing the same thing. And, and so you ought to embrace what God calls you to. You ought to be thankful for what God calls you to. And be the best believer in Christ, the best follower of Christ you can in the midst of that. And here's what I want you to catch about Abraham by the end of the sermon. You and I are the blessing of Abraham. God promised to bless Abraham and you and I are the recipients of these verses. This is, you know, thousands of years ago that God said this. And you and I sit in this auditorium today as believers in Jesus Christ because of this. This is the promise and covenant God made, fulfilled in Christ. But this is the covenant. It's the covenant of faith. We're not saved by the Ten Commandments. All the Ten Commandments do is say, yep, you're busted. It's like an x-ray. I've never had a broken bone that I know of. I, I may have cracked a few because I've had pain, but I don't know that they actually broke because I never had them x-rayed. But I've never had a broken bone in a cast. And if you had a broken arm where it snapped in two, and you go and they lay that thing up there and take an x-ray of it, and they go, yep, you got a broken bone, how much good did that do you? None. It helped the doctor reset it, but it didn't help you a bit at that moment, Right? The Ten Commandments are like that x-ray. They shine on us and we go, and it says, yep, you're a sinner. And that's the end of it, brother. <laughs> yep, you're going to hell. That's all it can tell you. You're busted. We needed a Savior. And the Savior came through Abraham's belief. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And God says to Abraham, I will bless all the nations of the world through you. And that is the church. Well, I'm getting ahead of myself. We'll come back to that. Uh, here's some important spots in this genealogy. First of all, as I said, it's tied to Shem. We know it's coming through from Seth to Shem. And then Peleg is, is important to us for this reason. In chapter 10, in that longer genealogy of a bunch of people, it doesn't tell us anything about Peleg except it says, and then he had Peleg. In his days, the earth was divided. And it goes on. It doesn't tell us who his children children are. In chapter 11, it tells us who his kids are. But Peleg, in his day, the earth was divided. And here's what we kind of know about those two things. It was probably when the earth was still shifting. Just preaching through this has made me a lot more sensitive to things I see and hear. Especially about the earth and its formation. And yesterday, uh, I was on some sort of science or history channel in, in a break during the day. It was just a few minutes. And they were talking about these images that now we see by satellite, images on the earth and the geology of the earth that they're seeing from up high going, what is that? It's really, and I've heard of the Rift Valley of Africa. I don't know if you've ever heard of this. There is a Christian school in the Rift Valley of of Africa. And it was designed and made for missionaries that are in Africa to send their kids there to be able to go to school. That rift is a fault line that, that goes side, side to side in Africa 4,000 miles long. That, that's, that's longer than from one coast to the other in the United States. And it's a fault line across the continent of Africa, 4,000 miles wide. Can you imagine? You can see it from above ground. You go, yep, there's a fault line. And, and they were talking about how somewhere in a the earth shifting that that happened well that was the days of Peleg that's when that happened right there is when it happened in his days the earth was divided but also we believe that was it was in his lifetime 
when Babel happened and everybody's language was changed and they began to disperse and the earth was divided by language and, and distance. And so he's kind of important. And then, of course, the, the, the main character here is Terah, the father of Abram or Abraham. And Terah bridges this transition from the first 10, the early history of the world of Genesis 1 through 11 into the promise of God for salvation. He is that bridge from all these people just having children. What is going on? Nobody knows. God knew what was going on and he lets us see it because there's some things you ought to notice about that genealogy. One is it names a, an heir and says, and then he had a bunch of other kids. Why didn't he name all of them? Because the important one is the one in whom that line to Christ. For us, it, they are all important. But for us, the ones that are coming in Christ, that, that's going to lead us to Christ. And so that's very important in that genealogy. And you have to realize, you know, we read that, oh, this guy and this guy, this guy, this guy. Well, it was this guy and a whole bunch of brothers and sisters. Then he had a kid and a bunch of others as well. So that continues. There's something else that is missing in this that is in every other genealogy in the Bible. It doesn't say that any of them died. It just said they lived this many years. And of course they died. We can infer from what is there that they died at the end of the number of years they lived. But the Bible doesn't state it. And it states it every other time. Why doesn't it state it? Because it's showing this God view flow to Abraham. God is trying to focus our attention on Abraham. So instead of going, this guy was born, he had these kids, and he died. And then this kid had these kids, and then he died. And you're not, you're not stutter-stepping to it. It is like a flow of history to Abraham. And God is showing us that he was in control that whole time. One of the things I really hope you'll take home with you today is the understanding that even though you may not know the names of your great-grandparents or beyond them, even if you've never had a geological research done, or a, not geological, a, a um, genealogical, thank you, I knew it started with a G, uh, a genealogical research done in your family, God knows where you came from. God's been keeping up. God has you here now for a purpose and a reason. The joy of your life is to figure out what God wants of you and then do it. I got to hang out with Vance Havner for a little while, and, and I don't think uh, he would have ever used the words hang out, but uh, he was at my school, he was speaking, I already knew who he was, I'd heard him before, I grew up same in, in the regional country he was from, uh, the, that southeast part, and uh, he was there, and I knew he was at the breakfast when breakfast opened, so I made sure I was there waiting for him to come in the door. He came in the door, man in the door, said, can I eat breakfast with you? Because I knew once the day started, everybody's going to be around him. And he said, if you'll carry my tray, I said, I'd be glad to. And so I carried his food to him, with him to the table. But I was with him, and somebody walked up to him and said, Mr. Havner, what is success? Yeah, y'all don't know Vance Havner. Is. Billy Graham preached his funeral. That ought to tell you what you need to know. And they asked him, what is success? And he said, success is knowing the will of God and being in it. That's the best definition I ever heard. It's the best definition you're ever going to hear. Because success is not how much money you make or where you live or, or possessions you own or what you accomplish. It is knowing the will of God and being in it. You accomplish great things for God. That's success. 
And it may not be what people think, oh, oh that's, a, that's a God thing. If it's what God called you to do, then it is a great thing. And if it is a small thing in the eyes of men, it's a great thing in the eyes of God. Thank you. Okay. So I want to make sure y'all are tracking with me. All right. So yeah, it's an amen. Well, we come down in this chapter, and I read all those people's names. Look with me in verse 27. These are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Haran fathered Lot. Y'all remember Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father, Terah, in the land of his kindred in Ur of the Chaldees. And Abram and Nahor took wives. Now these are the brothers. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, or Sarai, yeah, Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, Nec, pay attention, the daughter of Haran, sorry, let me back that up, uh, Abram took uh, uh, Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarah was barren, and she had no child. I don't know if you caught that. But Abraham's brother married their niece. Haran had a daughter, and that's who he married. Now, let me, let me gross you out a little bit more. Their child is Rebekah, whom Abraham's son Isaac marries. Their child had a child that Jacob married. Leah and Rachel say, man, that's kind of taking family closeness to a big degree, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it is. But you say, why would God do that? L let me help you out just a minute. Number one, the law that you couldn't do that doesn't happen to Moses. Okay, number one. Number two, at this point in human history, the fall hasn't affected man as much as it has us today or even up to Moses. The genetics aren't so messed up that there's as much danger in a close genetic connection. In other words, you're not going to emphasize a recessive gene too much by marrying a close relative. These are cousins marrying each other as we see in, these patriarch in the patriarchal family. And then after all that, Moses comes along and God says, don't do that anymore. Because now it becomes a physical danger. And our DNA and all that, we, we talked about that in an earlier thing about how once DNA changes after these traits are emphasized, the, the things that the DNA forgets, it never gets back. And so now we, we are more specialized in our DNA and it would be a danger to cross that specialization. There was still so broad that you could do that uh, in that day. And so just... Just so you understand, and I called this point, the gang's all here. And the gang was within that family. They said, go back to dad's house, find a wife there, find a wife there. And so they do. They find, they, they're married in close because God wanted a certain people uh, to be. Now, were they to be closed like that forever? No, not at all. In fact, it opens up. And, and they marry people of other nations, and they're brought into the nation of Israel. But it's because Abraham is coming, and this is... He is the point. So I want you to see Abraham. Look beginning uh, in verse um, 31. It says Sarah was barren and had no children. The Bible doesn't say Sarai is Abram's dad's daughter. 
this is his half-sister. You think it was bad to marry your niece and cousins. Abraham married his half-sister. They had the same dad with different moms. All right? But the Bible doesn't say that here. It surprises you with that later. <laughs> but I'm going to go ahead and spoil God's little surprise there for you. Verse 31, Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Aharon, his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, and his son, Abram's wife. And they went forth together from the Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Now, we don't know that Haran was named after his dead son, Haran. Maybe they stopped there, built a city, and named it after the one who had died. Or it might have been a place named Haran, and Haran was a different name. But there's something else unusual here. Look at chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, But Abram's already left Ur, and is found in Haran, on their way to Canaan. There's another problem. Haran is out of the way if you're going from Ur to Canaan. You've got to get off the trail to get there. Why? Here's the answer. We don't know. We don't know because the Bible doesn't say. Now let me help you with some reasonable explanations. Number one, well, let me tell you one other thing and then I'll give you reasonable explanations. It is, it is believed that Terah and everybody else in that family are not following the Lord. That only Abram is the guy that knows God. Now, that may not be totally true, but Abram's obviously the one that's really listening to God because God speaks to him, right? Do you know if you want to hear God, you've got to be open to listening? You can open your word and the Bible and not get anything out of it. It's because you're not listening. Because you don't, you don't always just listen with your ears. You listen with the Spirit's help. And, and if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're not going to understand it anyway. But anyway, so... So Abram may have been following the Lord and earlier than the Bible tells us there, or it seems like, because, you know, sometimes the Bible talks, but it's telling you here something that happened before this part. And it's jumping back and forth a little bit. So that could be possible. That God spoke to Abram, and Abram says to his dad and everybody, Hey, I've heard from God, and I'm supposed to go to Canaan. And Terah said, Well, why don't we take the whole family and go? And they packed up and started, and Dad said... Hey, I want to go out to Haran on the way because there's some stuff there I always wanted to see. And they go there and it says, but they settled there. They, 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 they started put, to put down roots. God wanted Abram to go on to the land of Canaan, right? And so he might not have left till Terah had died. That's what we believe. Or God may have spoken to Abram twice. He may have told him back, he may have told him back in Ur, hey, go to Canaan. Or Terah may have said, hey, I want to go to Canaan, but I want to go through Haran. And when they got there and he died, then God spoke to Abraham and said, I want you to go on to Canaan. The Bible doesn't say in such a way we can put it in an exact order or how many times. But we still have the basic facts. I just want you to know this because we study this stuff to these degrees that God called Abram because... And this is where we get our explanation. Guess where we get the explanation for this? Somebody guess. If you were here at the first service, don't guess. Yeah, me either. The sermon of Stephen in Acts. Stephen is preaching and he says, when God called Abraham out of Ur. So 
when Abram left her, it was by the express will of God, and Abram might not have even known it. You, you ever had that experience? You realize, whoa, God led me right here for this time, and you weren't even paying attention. Just all of a sudden you go, oh, I was supposed to be here, and God got me here. That, that happens, doesn't it? So that may be untrue. So Stephen lets us know that God did speak to Abram and Ur, and he had to get on out and... We don't know why Terah went with him or any of that stuff. But that is what happened. But now I want you to focus in on this call to Abraham. Look in chapter 12, first three verses. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Now that is, it seems like it's contradicted everything God always said. I'm going to take a man and make a family and then a clan and then a people or a nation. Now God is telling Abram, you leave all of them. I'm going to make out of you a whole new clan and nation. I'm going to make you a family, a clan, and a nation. And again, it seems like God's walking a tightrope. Or Abram looks like he's walking a tightrope because he's a hundred and doesn't have a kid yet. That God said, yeah, that's the one. He's a hundred before he has a kid. That God says, yep, that's the one I wanted you to have. So you can imagine Abram worrying about this somewhat. <laughs> And the Bible reveals that he did. And we'll probably we'll be seeing all that as we go through. But here's what I want to ask you today. If you, have you ever known that God called you to do something or were in, in trying to do God's will and it just didn't seem to be working out according to how you think? It's kind of whole, tough to hang in there based on a promise unless you totally trust the person who promised. Right? And we see this failure that Abram had in his life. We see it all through the Bible. Uh, I, I think of Peter in John 21 as, as one of the classics that Jesus has risen from the dead. But they didn't control when they got to see Jesus. They couldn't go knock on the door and go, Jesus here? Because he'd just show up, right? After his resurrection, they'd just be in a locked room and all of a sudden Jesus would be there. Be walking down the road, all of a sudden Jesus would be there. So they're kind of looking around for him, but he's not there. And so... There must have been this gap of time, and I, I still am convinced that, that Peter had to be a lot like an ADHD kid, right? And in John 21, he's sitting there, and he goes, I don't know about you boys, but I'm going fishing. And they say, hey, we'll go with you. And that's the story where they fish all night. They don't catch anything. The next morning, the sun comes up, Jesus is standing on the shore going, didn't catch anything, did you? They didn't even know it was Jesus yet. Says, throw it on the right side, you'll catch some. They haul in a big thing of fish. They get to the shore, God, Jesus already has a breakfast there because he doesn't need us to catch fish to feed him. He will feed us. He calls us to catch fish, but the fish are men, not fish. And he's taking care of his own business. But there's an example where Peter just gets itchy. He never told him to go fishing, he told him to wait. I just don't think God's going to show up. You ever been there? I'm trusting God, but... I don't know if he's going to make it or not. I think Abram had, that, had to live with that for some years until God fulfilled his promise to him. But notice what he promises him. I will make of you a great nation. He promises to give him, you can't make him a great nation unless he has children. And God gives this promise to Abram, I'm going to make you a great nation. And then it walks a razor's edge to have Isaac and then Isaac has Jacob and Esau. And out of Jacob comes 12 sons that become 12 tribes that become a nation 
under protection of, of Egypt at the time. They eventually became slavery, so they would leave. They wouldn't have left if that hadn't happened. And so God says, not only would he make them a great nation, but he says, I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And then look at verse 3, and I'll comment on all of it. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you. I will curse and in you all the families of the earth. Catch that? All the families of the earth will be blessed. Now, first of all, God gives him a promise to bless him. Then he says, I'll bless those who bless you. I'll curse those who curse you. But in you, all the nations of the world will be blessed. When God said he was going to bless Abraham, do you think that was a, or when he says he was going to make his name great, do you think there had a, that might have a double meaning? Here's, here's my point. Sure, Abraham's name, Abraham's name is great. The Jews, oh, he's our father. The, 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 if, in case you don't know it, the Muslim religion, Abraham is their father. He's the big deal. Did you know as Christians, he's a big deal? Look with me in Galatians chapter 3. This Hebrew of the Hebrews, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes this in verse 7 of, of Galatians chapter 3. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Paul said, this is the oldest book in the New Testament. And in the first book God writes, has men to write after the resurrection of Christ... He points out that if you have faith in Christ, that makes you a son of Abraham. Paul re restates this in different words at the end of Romans chapter 2 where he says, For they are not Jews who are those outwardly whose circumcision is of the flesh, but they are Jews who are those inwardly whose circumcision is of the heart. We are the sons of Abraham. And he goes on to say, and the scriptures, foreseeing God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. And so that brings me back to Genesis 12 and this question. Is it a double prophecy? Is Abraham's name great? Undoubtedly, provably. We are the spiritual sons of Abraham, but why are we the spiritual sons of Abraham? Because we have great faith? No, because God gave us great faith, and in that, that faith, where do we place that faith? We place it in Christ, right? Because without Christ, that is God fulfilling his covenant to Abraham. We can't fulfill the covenant to Abraham without Jesus Christ. Because our part is faith, and the Bible says... For by faith you're saved, for by grace you're saved through faith, and that's not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. So even our faith is a gift of God. But Abraham's descendant is Jesus Christ, who has been given a name above every name, 
that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This prophecy in Genesis 12 takes us to Christ. Make his name great. And in Christ, all the nations of the earth can come in faith and become part of the family of God. When the Bible says in Romans 2, they are not Jews who are those outwardly, but Jews inwardly. He's saying that Judy, being a Jew is not a, a thing of birth. It is a thing of faith. That you become the people of God, not because you were born to the right parents. Because you may not know your genealogy. You may be adopted. You may, who knows what happened to get you here. But in Christ, you're not born into faith. You're born again into the family of God. And once you're born again into God's family, you become a child of Abraham, a child of faith. And the Bible says in Hebrews, and he believed God, it was counted to him as righteousness. That is man's part. But you can't even do that without the help of God. And God's part is to make it available. Salvation is not available without the shed blood of a perfect man. And Jesus put on flesh and became that man for us he was never anything less than God but being in the form of God thought equality with God not something to be held on to but emptied himself and took on the form of a man and being found in fashion as a man he became obedient a servant he became obedient even to death on a cross and because he fulfilled this covenant God gave him a name above every name Abraham have a great name yes but his super great grandson had a greater name And in that grandson, all the nations of the earth are blessed. You and I sit in this auditorium today and say amen to that. Because in Genesis 12, God promised it. I'm just telling you, we ignore the Old Testament sometimes. And don't realize, Genesis is aptly named the book of beginnings. Back to basics, that's where it started. When Abram, blessed by God, said, I'm going to follow God. Did he make mistakes? Of course he did. That ought to be another encouragement to you. Even though you're called, even though you're doing what God wants you to do, you're going to mess up. That's why we need the blood of Christ to forgive us of our sin. So that we can confess and forsake our sin. And follow him that he would give us, enable us not to continue in sin. But that we can abandon sin. We can leave that and follow Christ. Man, I, I, I just had holy fits looking at this. Because God has blessed us in the covenant of Abraham. That in faith, though I'm not a Jew physically, I came from Japheth, not Shem. I can say I'm a child of God. So what do you, what do you need to do with that this week? Well, first of all, understand God's plan to get you here. By that I just mean... You may not know all the details of the names, but trust that God got you here on purpose. You're not an accident. You're not the result of random chance. You did not come from a chimpanzee. God made man in his image, and he has been following that lineage, and he wanted you to be where you were when you were born and where you are now by his call and his will. And knowing that, you can rejoice in him that he has a reason for you to be here. And then I would say, if you're not sure or you have never thought of it in those terms, answer God's call to you. If God has called you to something, then do that with all your might. 
and just say yes to God. Make sure you know what that is. Don't be frustrated by trying to, what you think it is. Find out from God what it really is and answer it. And then thirdly, just rejoice in your salvation in Christ. You could not save yourself. I could not save myself. But Jesus paid the price that we could become his children. And he's letting us know how he did it and the plan. And he's opening the door to show us this progress of redemption that marches through the Bible. But as you catch that and understand that, trust Christ. Now, I don't know everybody in this room. I don't know everybody that might be watching this uh, through electronic means. But I know this, that the answer to your problem is, is Christ. Somebody uh, asked, uh, my wife had a discussion with somebody about truth, and they were, they were talking about that, and, and Janice told them that, that another man asked that question as he looked at Jesus and said, what is truth? And Jesus, he didn't give Jesus a chance to answer him. But in John 14, Jesus said this, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. They were discussing how can we trust anybody. And I also told her to give them the verse in Romans that says, Let God be true and every man a liar. And God's truth is that Jesus is the truth. And you can have him. So I want you to bow your heads right now and close your eyes. Like I said, I don't know where you are. Maybe you need, have a need today to trust Christ, to have faith in him, to put your, that's what the word trust means, or the word faith means to trust. And that you put your weight on Christ and let him bear you up. And if you have a need of Christ, you may pray something like this. It's not magic words, but if this expresses the intention of your heart, you can say to God, Father, I am a sinner. I've messed up, and I need Jesus to forgive me of my sin. I want to follow Jesus the rest of my life. I want to forsake my sin and follow Christ. And have, him, and, and have him save me and that the Holy Spirit would come and give me the power to overcome in this world, in this life. Lord, forgive me of my sins. Bring me into a right relationship with you. Help me to grow in you. Help me to believe in you and trust in you. I recognize that by myself I have no power, but you can give me all the power I need to believe and, and live the life you called me to live. Lord, right now I turn my life over to you and I ask you to be the Lord and Savior of my life. In Jesus' name, amen.